Hey there, guys, and welcome back to episode 121 of the NSWA podcast. We discuss anything related to the Second Amendment, including firearms, gear, and current events. I'm your host, Jacob Clifford. Join my co-host, Jerry Mitchell. Today, we're going to be talking about medical kit basics. Um, personal news, um, we kind of had to double this one up, so listen to episode 120 if you want to hear personal news, I suppose. Um, but just because it's referenced in this video, I do have my belt that I recently set up, just showing. Oh, okay. But yeah, I was about to say... But yeah, nice. so I got I got a interact. Jake talked about it on the last one, or he just ordered a bison belt. Um, I had a lot of back and forth with this company. Uh, finally, getting settled on a correct size for this belt, they ended up having to make me a custom size because I'm right between medium and large for some reason. <laughs> Their sizing is very very weird. Because um, like yeah. Blue, Blue Alpha, I guess they go by belt size, but I'm like a 30 or 32 in their belt size. But this one they had to make like a a medium plus two. Hmm. For, their sizing was way, way weird, but it's Wet Devil USA. From what I could tell, very stiff, rugged, durable belt. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I, I like it so far. I wore it um, all, um, I wore it helping out Mac with a course all day, and it was comfortable. So. Badass. I like it. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't end up, like, saving much personal news for this one. I kind of let it all hang out on the last yeah. one. But, uh. So yeah, anyways, um, to preface this, we are not medical professionals. Um, if you want legit advice, I suppose seek somebody who um, is like a professional like trauma specialist or something. Yeah, North American um, Rescue is going to be our primary resource for this, <coughs> this episode. Uh, they have training. Uh, there's also Dark Angel Medical as training. Um, if you guys can't get to training, there's no training near you, uh, just look some stuff up on YouTube. Um, vet your sources, though. Um, medical is extremely important. And you want to make sure you're getting the right equipment and you're getting the right advice. So we highly recommend overall training. Um, get the civilian equivalent to tr uh, TCCC, which is Tactical Casualty Combat Care. Um, yep. They have civilian equivalents um, taught by North American Rescue, so get, get something. Yeah, definitely get out there and get some training. I would like to attend some additional training. A, a, a good portion of mine, um, like my understanding of medical, is, um, is kind of rooted in the CLS courses in the military. Um, which were definitely beneficial, and I, I had a good friend who was my medic, um, and so I was able to kind of pick his brain, I guess, after class and just throughout time, because I, I, I took a, just an interest to it otherwise. So um, I definitely, you know, was fortunate for that, and fortunate to have a, a well-versed medic who, um, was, who allowed me to pick their brain constantly and annoy him. But uh, I would definitely like to attend some additional um, courses to kind of just get an up updated understanding. I try to keep up a little bit like between like NARS Instagram and like kind of research a couple things, but yep. there's definitely room to improve. Um, but like we said, you know what I mean? We just, we have a basic understanding compared to, you know, a lot of other um, professionals or whatever, or a lot of professionals. Um, but yeah, so take what we, take what we tell you um, as if, you know, it's just a friend giving you some advice on what they understand. Um, yeah, additionally, this is going to be more of the equipment side of the house and not the actual application or when to use what. Yeah, um, this is more of like hard items rather than technique. Yes, because yes. at a minimum, if you have these items on your person, um, worst case scenario, somebody could come along and knows how to use them and use them on you. And that's kind of the, the purpose between like an individual first aid kit, which would be an IFAC. Um, having those items on you, which are for you, um, mm -hmm. so for you to either do self-aid or for somebody to come along and do buddy aid on you. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. But definitely, it's 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 overlooked by a lot of people. I think who are earlier into the uh, kind of 
preparedness and gun community, but it's, um, it's super, super important. Um, and like, uh, you know, you're definitely more likely to use medical than a firearm. Um, yep. I've used like most people out there, whether it's on the job site or whether it's, um, just in general, how many times have you like hurt yourself or how many times have you just shot somebody? You know what I mean? Like in, in your day to day life, I'm um, in all reality, like you're probably going to hurt yourself a lot more than you're going to get into some kind of engagement. Um, yeah, like worst case scenario for civilians generally is bad car accidents, mm-hmm. maybe a chainsaw saw accident. Yep, um, any kind of like job site trauma, yeah. um, you know, like you said, anything re- relating to like vehicles or heavy equipment or um, stuff like saws, chainsaws, table saws, skill saws, any of that yep. kind of stuff um, are generally where you're going to see this happen. Um, but I'll give you an example. Um, it wasn't it wasn't like life threatening, but it was still a it was a pretty good uh, laceration, nonetheless. Um, I fell off. Uh, I fell off my oh, Peterbilt yeah. like three weeks ago, and I fucked my hand up good. And uh, but and and it was because I slapped my hand against the stack, and like it tore. It was a broken little broken piece coming out, and it tore it right right down deep. And fortunately, though, I had medical in my bag, um, and so I was able to you know just administer regular first aid. But as a lot of people know hand wounds have a tendency to bleed pretty profusely for what they are. But um, nonetheless, it was, a, it was a pretty good little little boo-boo. And uh, that just goes to show that, you know, you want to have that kind of stuff on hand. I had the ability to, you know, kind of flush it and, um, and apply a bandage so that it didn't get anything in it. Um, so it's something to, uh, something to consider. Um, yeah, another, it's the silliest thing sometimes. It is, yeah. Another, another personal story is uh, a couple weekends ago, I competed in a Spartan race with my girlfriend. And during one of the obstacles, we had to go into like a mud pit. That was, I guess, mostly water, but it was mud as well. Um, and there was, for some reason, just a big ass rock in the middle of it. And she bashed her knee right on the rock, and Ugh. she ended up busting her knee open. Uh, she didn't address it till after the race, but there was a pretty good laceration on her knee. Uh, no, it was mostly just superficial, uh, nothing beyond that. Uh, but I did not have a boo boo kit on me because I I keep this in my vehicle. And we were traveling and not in my vehicle. So that's just a reference point for if you don't have it with you, you can't use it. So it's kind of yeah. like a kind of like a gun. It doesn't it only matters. The only gun that matters is the one you carry. Same with medical. If you don't carry it on you, you can't use it. So, yeah, you got to keep it on you or in your vehicle. Or, and if you don't have your vehicle, then keep it in your backpack or something. Yep, Simple as that. You know, try to try to carry as much as you feel comfortable carrying with you as close to you as you can comfortably. So like. The way I kind of look at and prioritize it is, you know, I at least try to keep a tourniquet on my person. It's bare minimum. Yeah. Um, and then from there, anything else is extra or in a bag or in a vehicle that you're always near is going to be your next best. So, um, yeah, we both every day carry a tourniquet. Yep. Uh, both you a tourniquet. I keep a, I keep a, um, you know, a actual like trauma kit and then like a boo-boo kit in my backpack that stays with me as well. Yep. Um, and then, you know, from, from there on, um, yeah, I keep, um, I keep an IFAC in my glove compartment of my, my Jeep. And then I have my boo-boo kit and my passenger side door. Uh, so I do have stuff with my vehicle, have the tourniquet on my person. And then at work we have medical kits in the cruisers. Yeah. So it kind of works out, yep. but, um, yeah. So I guess, um, first thing we can kind of get into is what is a trauma kit versus a boo-boo kit? Um, so trauma is going to. Well, let's start with boo-boo because I think more people are familiar with it. Yeah. So boo-boo kits are like first aid, right? So like what you would see in a metal box screwed to like a shop wall above a sink in an yeah. eye washing station. Um, it's 
ba like band-aids, medical tape, maybe some alcohol prep pads. It's like when you're a kid and you skin your knee and you go to your mom and you ask yeah, her for she, something. And, that's like the boo-boo yeah. kid, yeah. you know, H hence kind of the, the kind of silly name to it. That's yeah. essentially what it is. It's, it's stuff that's superficial. That's not, you know, like life-threatening or anything like that, but needs to be addressed. It needs yeah. to be, um, you know, kind of stopped at where it is at currently. So you need to have the ability to keep it from getting further debris in it, and you need to have the ability to flush things, um, generally speaking, or disinfect them so that the healing process can kind of begin, I guess. Yeah, because um, even yeah. boo-boos left untreated, like small superficial wounds left untreated, um, they can become life-threatening. They can become infections, yeah. especially if you're not clean, if you're in the field or something. Um, or, I mean, there's people, like, look at old people. You've probably had a family member or something that's, you know, got some sort of wound or broken their arm or something, and then they went to the hospital, and it leads to one thing after another, and next thing you know, they got some bad infection, and then they pass away. Like, mm -hmm. that kind of it, stuff it, happens. It's crazy how, especially, yeah. you know, people who are, say, immune-compromised or just, you know, yep. not as in as good a health or they're malnutritioned or something. Um, it can lead to even worse conditions. And so don't think because you're young and healthy that it can't happen, um, say, if you get into an unclean environment. So ideally, it's the ability to kind of uh, to flush something, you know, like disinfect it, and then be able to cover it so no more debris enters yep. it, and then um, kind of go from there. Um, and to obviously, like, stop um, more superficial bleeding. Um, and treat side effects of some other issues you might have, yep, uh, so. small injuries or dehydration and that kind of stuff. Yep, so some like rehydration salts or um, like some aspirin or some acetaminophen um, is generally what you're going to find inside of one of those. Um, and that's and we'll get into a little bit more than that when the time comes, but generally speaking, kind of understand what a booboo kit is at this point. Now, trauma is dealing with life-threatening injuries. So trauma as in, you know, something has essentially struck the body has you know had some kind of major trauma to the body is so um whether that be something like a sucking chest wound or something like massive hemorrhaging whether that be from a junctional area or some kind of appendage caused by a bullet yep. um, a striking object something yep. like that so, some kind of uh you know something has tore you up to a point yep. where that if you don't seek immediate medical attention and try to stop bleeding or regain, you know, kind of vacuum within the chest cavity, you're going to die or you're going to be close to it. Um, that's where trauma comes in. So one of those things where obviously the most important one, if the situation for each presents itself, it's obviously going to be trauma because trauma leads to death if left untreated yep. versus boo-boos are inconvenient and could become life-threatening if stuff goes bad and you leave it completely untreated for an extended period of time. But Immediately, it's not going to kill you, you know. It's um, so that that's going to be your your big difference between these two. Um, so, like we were saying, minimal carry is going to be a tourniquet because you can prevent a lot of deaths from math massive hemorrhaging um, via a tourniquet, right? So, you think from any kind of appendage, arms down and legs down, not to get too far down the rabbit hole with application, though. Um, that's how you're going to prevent any kind of massive hemorrhaging from any of those is through a tourniquet. Um, so at the least, that's a really good thing to have. So, you know, you have some kind of severed, um, you know, you have a severed leg or a severed arm or hand or something like that from some kind of car crash or yeah. whatever. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, severed. No, not Just at all. your main artery has to be nicked enough exactly. where it's bleeding profusely. Yeah, most uh, definitely. So... 
I got this statistic from North American Rescue. Um, they have a whole they have a whole white paper, so a whole like um, medical document on the effectiveness of tourniquets. So I'd recommend if you're if you're skeptical, because I know there's there's some misinformation that comes from tourniquets that are like pre two thousand like pre GWAT. Um, it's like that era. Like what our what our what our parents' generation learned in the military about tourniquets. Yes. Like you asked my dad about tourniquets. Like, don't like use what them. he learned in the eighties. It was like if you use that, you're gonna lose it. You know what I mean? Like that was the idea. Yeah. If you have to resort to a tourniquet, you're gonna lose that appendage. Which even if that was the case, like isn't isn't that better than dying? You would think so. <laughs> you would think so. But, but they were so worried about losing the limb and and like I know they would do it like at the last possible. I even know second. like when I was very interested in the military and I was watching like military documentaries. They had one on. Um, one of the major TV stations. It might have been Discovery. They had like a pararescue show. Yes, I remember that. Like with the PJs. Uh-huh. Um, and they, it, during that time frame, they, um, there was a certain amount of time where apparently a tourniquet could be on before you would have nerve damage enough where you might lose your limb. And I don't even know if that's the case anymore. No, I believe that kind of... That kind of phased that, out as well. Yes, I've heard of like 36-hour applications yeah. of tourniquets that haven't really like majorly affected the appendages. Yeah. That, that's what I've heard kind of third-hand. I will, you know, I will concede and say. Yeah. I've heard that third-hand through, I believe, my medic at one point had mentioned that to me. Um, so that's, you know, that's something to consider. But there was a point where that, it kind of, it kind of faded out. It went from, oh, you're going to lose it to, oh, well, you leave it on too long, yeah. it'll be nerve damage. And then, but it, it kind of goes in full circle because there was like a point like you watch MASH, which, um, you know, it's by no means a, a documentary, but it, it was, <laughs> yeah. to my understanding, um, a lot of the medical stuff was over, uh, was kind of oversighted by actual medical professionals during the Korean War. So a lot of the theories kind of went true was like, they had like, a ridiculously small window to keep a tourniquet on mm-hmm. once they had a patient with a tourniquet applied yeah. and like it was it was i think it was like literally like a 30 minute window like we need to get this thing off yeah. or some crazy stuff like that back then but that's how they thought um and obviously this that that show was actually made say obviously korea was in the early 50s but the show was made in the 70s into the early 80s so that theory still persisted yeah. during that time yeah. um yeah, it's, it's very interesting how we how we view tourniquets now. That's part of the reason why the tourniquets have the time tab on them, so people could keep track of how long they've been on and all mm-hmm. that. Um, so the, the, to get back to the statistics, so um, hemorrhage from extremity wounds um, in, is one of the leading causes of preventable <coughs> death in combat. Um, so there's three major uh, preventable uh, methods of death in combat, um, and the number one is, is massive hemorrhaging. Um, so that's that just leads to the importance of um, carrying a tourniquet. Um, obviously, we're not in a combat zone, but um, combat zones deal with a lot of trauma. So if we're trying to prepare for trauma, it would make sense to prepare for the most yeah, likely. This is where we're sourcing our information. Yeah, yeah, is is this is the meat grinder that we're sourcing? Like this is, you know combat is the way in which we can look at and say okay this is all the different kinds of trauma you can experience it's all happening right here how can we prepare for that you know what i mean um and yeah and i believe there was a statistic out there that it was a very staggering number of um deaths were preventable in vietnam if we had believed in tourniquets at the time um and we saw that going into like uh, like OIF one, like early GWAT. People were like, if you ever watched like Generation Kill, they were taking cravats and t- yep. uh, uh, tongue depressors and making tourniquets because that was the new thing coming down the pipeline before cats really hit the market yep. or the soft tees hit the market on a large scale. I think scale. in one of the military field manuals, they, they just say grab a cav- uh, cravat, grab a stick, and then like improvise mm-hmm. tourniquets. They didn't because they didn't issue tourniquets for the longest time. No, it was it was a yes and. Um, 
And that was a, that was actually, yeah, I have, a, I think I've seen a couple manuals like that because the idea back then was like, you know, pressure dressing and tourniquet or like if it got real bad, like a pressure dressing and a tourniquet or tighten the pressure dressing with like a, like a windless, with a windless. like a makeshift windless. It was weird. Um, but that was, you know, the idea of yesteryear. So I, I have to say this, uh, there's certain tourniquets that are, uh, approved and that is not your belt. Um, I had a cringe moment at the PD where I opened an old toolbox that was labeled medical and I found a belt in there. Uh, so don't be that guy that thinks they're just going to whip off their belt and tie it around somebody's leg. Uh, there's no windlass. Uh, you cannot physically get your belt tight enough and yeah, hold especially that Especially if it's pressure. like a stiff leather, stiff leather belt. Like, it's just not I mean, gonna... even if it's a nylon belt, like... Yeah, like, even don't... if you were, like, imagine trying to create a windlass with, yeah. like, a leather belt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't... Yeah. Well, I believe there's a saying, it was, improvisation is not, um, improvisation is not preparation, or something like yeah. that. Or is some kind of, you know, don't, don't plan on improvising, I guess, is the, is the real kind of moral of that. Is if your answer is like, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just do this if these if these are around like that's a really bad way to prepare for things um you know by trying to just source things around you and improvise that's a last resort and that's where it should stay um you should do everything in your power to be completely prepared for that yeah but so uh daily carry i appendix carry a tourniquet uh there are companies that make uh holders for that i just i just stick it in my pants and and that's it um on my uh, duty belt or my range belt, I do have an actual carrier for my tourniquet. And I exclusively carry Gen 7 uh, cat tourniquets at the moment. So it's the new, newest generation cat tourniquet where you don't have to worry about going through multiple sides of the, the buckle. Uh, it's just a single entry <coughs> point on the buckle. So you don't have to, you used to have to worry about. Um, what you do something different for an arm versus a leg. Yeah, now versus, it's all, yeah, femoral it's all, was like both, and then but anything else you could do, um, you could do a single. Loop now it's all streamlined, so yeah, you just do it the same way either arm. And they beefed up the windlass, so they're less likely to break, uh, which is nice. Yeah, like in my uh, in my trauma kit, I run. I, I have a few cat, Gen Seven and Gen Six cats, um, and then I actually run a handful of the soft tees. Yep. I, I like the idea of the soft tees for like femoral artery, uh, femoral arterial like wounds. Um, just because they are a very stout tourniquet. Um, but that being said, especially with these Gen 7 cats, these are on a kind of these are a lot stronger than some of their predecessors in regards to like running for some of those older, uh, for some of those more like femoral wounds yeah. and stuff. Uh, so they're 30 bucks, one time use, um, and don't use them for training. Yeah, use an older one ones, or yeah. buy a specific training one. North American you can get, Rescue, like the blue ones. North American Rescue makes specific training tourniquets. Uh, if you use these in training, they're going to be more li- they're more likely to break during actual use. So yeah. you want to save them, keep them fresh. Um, I've actually gone to carrying tourniquets on my kit in pouches in some sort of nylon pouch because I noticed over time uh, with sun, abrasion, debris, they were kind of gumming out my tourniquets and they were not they don't look as nice and they're starting to fray. Um, and if that's the case, yeah. if they, if they don't look great, they're in my mind not going to work as well. Yeah, most definitely, especially with um, a lot of like the Velcro and stuff like that yes. getting getting older over time. Um, and I've noticed that like I used to EDC a cat Gen Seven, um, and I, I run mine in like my slash pocket on my yep. Carhartts. Um, and I would notice over time that it would just get hammered to the point where I didn't feel confident keeping that as like a valid tourniquet. So I think I threw that in my training tourniquet box. Yep. Um, That's kind of a benefit of the SWAT tee. 
Yes. Or not the SWAT soft tea, tea. Soft tea. Yeah. So like the soft tea, the soft tea is a little bit more robust in regards to that. Like it doesn't um, run like Velcro and stuff. It has a metal windlass. And so I, I just find them a little more robust, but it by no means invalidates the Gen 7 because these are yeah. like the cats because these are great, great tourniquets. So those are the primary two authorized tourniquets that are approved. Um, there's a newer ratcheting tourniquet. Have you seen that one? I've heard of it, but I, I can't remember like the specifics of it. Yeah, it, it just has a ratcheting method to it that tightens it, uh, which I could imagine for somebody that might have not have a lot of like hand strength, that might be nice. Yeah. Do you remember when Proper came out with like tourniqueted uniforms? Well, actually, I was reading an article when I was doing up the notes for this episode, and and they the article is like a I think it was like a police um, blog or something, and they uh-huh. they said newer newer uh, combat uniforms are including like built-in tourniquets. Yeah, like. <laughs> Eight years ago, we talked about them for like yeah. five minutes. I remember that. Like, I think it was either True, True Spec, or whatever it is. And then there was, um, and then there was a uh, proper. I think had their like uh, something like TFU or something like their hmm. TRU uniforms were like built-in tourniquets. It was like yeah. every ever just tourniquets all over it. Like it was kind of funny. Hmm. Um, um, so there's unapproved tourniquets. Um, so I know Rats has been kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there was a handful. Like I, I carried a rats for a little while. I think maybe maybe right during the beginning of the podcast, I carried a rats. Yeah, and I did that under the uh, idea of the fact that I thought, well, if I'm out with my dog, it's it, it 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 can be used on smaller appendages, such as like a dog appendage or like um, like a baby or like something like that. Um, but <clears throat> I came to the realization that although yeah, you know, maybe keep it in like a bag that if you're going somewhere with your dog. Like, it's not going to work as well on, like, human beings, yeah. you know. And that's really the problem. Um, uh, so, Mike Oshelant, um that follows a podcast, um, he recently went to a Dark Angel medical class. And he's been carrying a SWAT tee, which is it's kind of like an exercise band tourniquet. Okay. Um, and they're not recommended for, um, like, primary tourniquet use for humans. They can be used as a secondary in addition to something else. Um, or they can be used as a pressure dressing kind of on the fly. Mm-hmm. But apparently they work well for animals. Like dogs. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, he probably has more information on that specifically, but. Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, I noticed he, cause he, he does a lot of outdoor walks with his dog. So uh, he's been carrying one of those for, for his dog. So. That yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I'll have to look into those a little bit more and just get, you know, huh. Um, but yeah. uh, main thing is make sure you buy a legit one from a reputable source. That's the big thing. Uh, I they, would just suggest ordering from NAR, yeah, like North American Rescue or something yeah. like that, or what, Odin Medical? Or... Yeah, there's, um, <clears throat> let's see, there's there's Fieldcraft Survival. I guess we could touch on it right now. The, the quality sources uh, to buy tourniquets yeah, from. Fieldcraft is awesome. Yeah, Fieldcraft Survival, Odin Medical, which I, I'll get into one of their IFACs I have here that's prepackaged. Uh, you've got North American Rescue themselves. You've got ITS Tactical. I, I like some of their stuff. Um, there's another site I was on recently that had all that kind of stuff, too. Um Oh, Blue Force gear. Blue yep. Force gear, like that's the med pouch I carry on my, my uh, range belt that carries all, all my trauma stuff minus the tourniquet. Yep. So those are, those are just a few. Um, I would not. There are reputable tourniquets on Amazon, but you have to sort through the... You have to wade through them, and it just doesn't yeah. like, okay, yeah, I get it. It's convenient. It'll be there yesterday. All right. Yeah. But like maybe just, just be patient. Like yes. it was like two years ago before Amazon started being able to like... Prime everything. Weird, right? Yep. Yeah. It's convenient, but maybe for medical stuff, just order from somebody reputable. Yes. Just, just you know what? Just do it, you know? Um, I think T-Rex Arms has med kits, too. Yep, they have some medical kits. Um, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of good companies, but yeah. um, 
Definitely go through somebody reputable. And if in doubt, just go straight through North American Rescue. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with that, you know. Yeah. Um, and I would say Fieldcraft Survival definitely being um, right up there, too, because yeah. they're nice because they'll sell you hemostatic uh, gauze um, a little bit easier. I, I know they had more in stock than others. Okay, because I know both, like, are you talking about the, the green yeah. Yeah, because some companies are weird. Like, Blue Force Gear wants you to be, like, Mill or LE to get it. Yeah, versus Fieldcraft's, like, here. You yeah. know what I mean? And I appreciate that. Yes. Um, versus I, I thought maybe NAR was having a problem with it at one point as well. Um, so that's just kind of my suggestion. Um, yeah. But. All right. I suppose we can probably go through some of these kits, right? Um, yeah. So uh, we, got, we got my IFAC off the belt that Jake's going to talk about. And then I have... One of my IFACs I keep in my glove compartment of my Jeep. So Yeah, so basically, this is the same one I carry on my uh, belt as well. Um, yeah, so that's a Blue Forest Gear uh, micro trauma kit now. Yep, and uh, yeah, and they're great little setup. It's a really convenient way of carrying it. Just slips out of that little elastic fella there. Open it right up, and right on the fly, you have... Um, I think number one, gloves. Yep, gloves. If Yep. And uh, so basically, you have these. Uh, these. Uh, these are regular nylons, right? Or what are these? I think they're just nylon. I don't think the powderless, whatever. Yeah. The uh, ni- are they nitrile or nitrile? That's yeah, what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah not, not, not. I had to think of. Yeah, I, I was, I was having a, a little moment there. So um, in the uh, in the state of New Hampshire, I, I can't really speak for other states, but um, I know they teach EMTs in the state of New Hampshire to glove up prior to doing any kind of medical stuff, and you're not faulted for gloving up. Uh, so I, I know an officer that was involved in a officer involved shooting, um, and that's standard practice. Before you deal with any foreign kind of a bodily bodily fluid. fluid, glove up because you don't want to end up getting an STD or some tr- sort of um, uh, blood transmitted disease um, that you're unexpected unexpecting just because you're trying to help out. Yeah, so. exactly. Like you don't want to walk away with AIDS after you shot a yes. dude. Like, dude, what you yeah. know? What world, right? But um, so. <clears throat> yeah, glove up. It's a good idea. And um, then you have your nasal pharyngeal airway here. Um, yeah, so that's obviously to create a um, a passage that doesn't depend on the mouth being open to keep uh, your involuntary airway yeah, going. Yeah, which um, airway is one of the top three preventable causes of death in combat as well. Yeah. So that's important, obviously. Um, and not to get too far down the rabbit hole is, you know, keep an eye out for, like, facial trauma and stuff like that. But... Um, Coming down the line, we have some uh, hemostatic gauze. Um, this is the this is a little the bit civilian stuff. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was gonna say I have the uh, I have a green pack in mind. Yeah, but um, so they they have three different varieties. They got a civilian one. Uh, they have the military green one, and then they have a black one that's LE and like for uh, EMT. Okay, use. I don't really know what the difference is. Makes a fellow wonder. Yeah, because um, they're all they all have a hemostatic to them. So. Yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah, some kind of hemostatic dressing. And then you have a uh, twin. I, I would suggest specifically going with the twin chest seals here. Yep. And these are vented, correct? Uh, or are these non-vented? Don't remember. Uh, I think the vented are superior from what I've seen. But um, I think... Oh, yeah, these are vent. Um, with a hyphen vent. Yeah, okay. The, I don't know if they do much of the non-vented anymore. Um, yeah, they might have been an old... old yeah, because I had some older non-vented before. Um, but regardless... Um, so obviously... Just to kind of get you guys like kind of up to par on here. So basically, like we talked about with the NPA and what that's for, um, this is for, you know, say um, junctional areas in which you want to pack. 
um, so that you can stop bleeding in a non-tourniquetable area. And then you have this for a sucking chest wound where you can stop um, you can stop air from escaping the chest cavity. Yeah. Just to put it in kind of layman's terms. Um, so yeah, all that's right here. You know, all the other stuff that's going to save somebody life, somebody's life that's not massive hemorrhaging from a uh, appendage. Yeah, and the other item I chose to admit for my kit, um, uh, well, I guess there's two items that I can think of right off well, the NCD. So there's, yeah, needle D. Um, yeah. So for somebody with, um, oh, what's that term? We just Sucking heard. chest wound. But, what are you talking about? But the other side effect of that, where you have like a collapsed lung. Yeah, um, um, thorax. Um, yeah, I just, we just looked it up. But yeah, I, regardless, basically a sucking chest wound causing lung deflation. Yes. To make it, you know, kind of easy to track. Um, basically what you'd be doing is say you'd apply one of these chest seals and then they're still, you know, say the patient's complaining about not being able to breathe or they're obviously not, you know, breathing properly. You need to now remove that air from the vacuum part of their diaphragm that is allowing the um, lungs to inflate. So what you need to do is you need to, say, apply a chest decompression needle essentially yep. it's a catheter with a one-way valve on the end so that the air can escape but not come back in essentially yep. what's going on the the reason i chose to admit that i used to carry one um but i learned how to use those in the military and from what i understand they've kind of changed their practice for applicating or for application so it used to be um down from the collar bone now i believe they prefer from the uh, armpit it's, it's between the armpit nipple line, and then there's um, between second and third yes, collarbone. From, from below. From, from below yeah. the collarbone. Um, and uh, I, yeah. I think the reason why they went away from going down off the collarbone is because too many people are puncturing lungs doing that, mm -hmm. and you're less likely to do that going through the armpit. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but so, I haven't um, had official training on it. I've just seen it through like North American's uh, Instagram and stuff, so I just yeah. kind of chose to admit that. Yeah, and that's, that's completely fair. And... and Depending on what kind of application, if you're, uh, say, on a car crash scene and you apply a needle D um, and then something happens to the patient, you could be in kind of a really bad spot. Yeah, New Hampshire does have a good Samaritan rule. Um, so Which, well, that's good. Generally, um, you, you. generally, you are covered for doing the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah. So, but, but that does not prevent somebody from suing you. Uh, yeah, like a civil case or whatever. Yeah. So just something something to kind of consider and then the other thing is a pressure dressing so like an israeli bandage or something mm -hmm. um i chose to admit that because of the the kind of the amount of volume that it takes up in the pouch israeli bandages do take up some space yeah. you know this yeah it's pretty fair but yeah uh so that's that's my like on the range med kit and then my eye fact that i keep in my vehicle um has the vented chest seals it has um compressed gauze it has um trauma dressing, uh, NPA, so the nasal pharyngeal airway, and the only difference is as an emergency survival blanket, which I thought was kind of nice for vehicle use. Yeah, just no, definitely. You never I mean, know. Yeah. yeah, you could also have a patient that you need to keep somewhat stable and somewhat yeah. warm during that time. So yeah, it's not, not always a bad thing because you know how people are. You get upon a car crash in the middle of the winter and not one person has a jacket. Yeah. You know, but yeah, with blood loss, uh, your temperature drops, um, all so that kind it's, of it's stuff. It's not for yeah. for the size that it still remains. It's not like that that tin blanket is really you know gonna yeah. hurt. Yeah. So, no, most definitely. Um, and then, kind of the world is your oyster at that point. Like you can add all kinds of like if you really want to be very prepared for like active shooter or 
maybe you're an off-duty EMT or paramedic, then you might want to have an entire aid bag, like I know you, you've had in the past. Yep, like I run a, I run a, a little bit more of like an aid bag style in my, uh, in my like personal rig. Um, I have basically one of the TCCC bags like the Army had, and I just kind of handpicked certain things that I thought. So I have a lot more tourniquets in there than, say, in one of my smaller trauma bags. And then I have, you know, a handful of NPAs. I have more chest seals. Yep. I have not only hemostatic gauze, but I have regular, you know, sterile gauze for, you know, the continuation of packing wounds and, and so on and so forth. And, and I used to run a little bit of a bigger one, but I kind of trimmed the fat on some of it. And I keep some of those supplies as a backup in case, you know, I need to actually go out for an extended stay or something like that. But um, it's not always bad to have, say, a central medical <clears throat> bag that you can always reference if something's going wrong. Yeah. Um, and as far as tourniquets go in the vehicle, I do keep one in the glove box as well. Um, wherever you do keep it in your vehicle, you want to make sure it's tethered to something or in something, mm-hmm. um, which in, in hindsight or thinking of it right now, if you are in a severe rollover, there's a chance that your glove compartment or your center console is just going to rip open. Yeah. Um, so you might want to actually like rubber band your tourniquet to something, but I do have the one on my person at all times as well. So it's kind of a double for yeah. either a passenger or... If worst case scenario, I need two, which would be horrible, but it, it You never is. know, guy with big legs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Some kind of femoral, you know, like where you need to tourniquet the femoral artery. Yeah. It's not unheard of, you know. Um, yeah, most definitely. It's a good point of saying, hey, you know, you should probably have them tethered so you can find them. Like, for instance, yeah. with my aid bag, it's tethered to the back of a seat so that it's always yeah. in a consistent location. But it's easy to get to at the same time. So. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you, if you have the one on your person, it's less likely to come out. So. Yep. Um, and then our last thing we're going to touch on, which is very important and more comprehensive, um, it's going to just have more odds and ends. It's going to be like a boo-boo kit, uh, first aid kit, um, your little bumps and bruises kit. Um, so Jay kind of touched on the reasons why we would carry something like this. Um, and again, this is there's going to be a lot of personal preference tied into this as well. Mm. But I really enjoy... ITS Tactical um, sells a complete boo-boo kit, is what they call it, um, and it has a list of contents right on the front of the bag. It's sealed. Um, I've used this one, so I have chosen to open it up, um, but you can keep it sealed and sterile if for whatever reason you need to do that. Um, but the list is nice because if you use something, you know how to replace it because you can just inventory this little kit, um, and it fits perfectly in my, in my door compartment. So... Uh, just going down the list, uh, so there's gauze, different size gauzes, there's triangle bandages, uh, there's various band-aids, uh, steri strips, surgical tape, uh, saline, uh, more gloves, always always important to have the extra gloves. There's tweezers, <laughs> those are ex- extremely important, especially this time of year in New Hampshire, uh, tick bites. I've already had one this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually haven't had, I've been in, out a few times, and uh, I actually have not had many ticks on me but i did have one tick bite so yeah far. i've even noticed like splitting wood and stuff like that especially hardwood you get some real nice splinters yeah. sometimes and uh sometimes you really need to dig into those i've had to take i've had to use scalpel blade before out of my aid bag yep. to to cut back so i could actually you know use my tweezers to get to some of them yeah i mean so. that's that's a good idea having a scalpel as well yep i actually that's on a side note is uh you can actually i have an old gi surgical kit Okay. And so it has has the ability, has all these supplies to suture, yep. and then it has um, it has a scalpel and sterile replaceable blades that are separate. Yeah. When you said that, it made me think of the uh, the Warrior Poet video, where he did you see that where he messed himself up and he like. Oh yeah! What did he? 
I forgot yeah. how, he was like filming and he hurt himself bad and he went to the doctor and he like asked the doctor hey can I suture myself yes I forgot about and that and he like yeah. practiced suturing Animal. yeah yeah stuff. it's cool shit <laughs> you don't have much opportunities to yeah. suture they do sell kits online that have like little like rubber skin with like lacerations so you can get suturing in. and I'd like to do that more because mm. it'd be it'd be, a, it'd be good you yeah. know yeah that's a good skill to have yeah uh, so this has a CPA, uh, CPR barrier face shield. Um, I don't think those are super important these days. Um, just through CPR training, uh, compressions are far more important than actual, like, the breathing aspect of it. Yeah. Um, alcohol prep pads, um, iodine prep pads, sanitizing wipes, triple antibiotics, so like Neosporin or something. Uh, sting relief, burn gel, moleskin. You cannot go wrong with moleskin. I have a fat <laughs> roll of moleskin in my fucking, yeah. so I actually have like, so I have some moleskins I could keep in my bag, but like in my like supply room, yeah. I guess if you want like supply like area, I have literally, it's this wide and it has to be at least like a good six feet of moleskin. It's the most, <laughs> I don't, I got it when I bought an old aid bag from yeah. the Army Navy store and it's the most obnoxious amount of moleskin I've ever seen yeah. in my entire life. But anyway, I, yeah, I have yeah. to share that whenever we mention moleskin. If you're going to be on your feet a lot, hiking, rucking. It helps. Do, doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you get if you're uh, blister prone, if your shoes don't fit well, maybe you don't know. Like if if you've never done twelve miles and then you just go do twelve miles, chances are your feet are gonna feel it. So mm-hmm. uh, some lip ointment, uh, which is good for chap lips. Um, and then what I think is very important uh, is some of this this kind of medical stuff. Um, or more medicine kind of stuff. So like electrolytes, ibuprofen, non aspirin, so like acetaminophen, um, antihistamine. Um, anti-diarrheal and uh, aspirin Um, so uh, electrolytes I think are extremely important Um, I don't know if it's just maybe it's like a personal thing or maybe it's because I drink too much water I don't know Um, but if I do a very hard heavy exercise I can um, I start to cramp up occasionally so um, it's good to keep those electrolytes in your system Mm -hmm. Uh, which you can get them through food and through salting your foods and that kind of stuff but um, depending on what you're doing, um, it's it's good to have those to get back in your system because you need a pro- to be properly hydrated. You need a, a good balance of water and electrolytes. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's probably different items you could add to this, but I think the this is a pretty good pretty good little kit, especially for the size. So I I have this one in my car, and then I actually have one in a nylon little red bag. Um, that I throw in my rucksack, or I just keep in my rucksack at the moment. So I have one of these for the field, and then I have one for day-to-day stuff in my vehicle. And then um, I guess another, something else for trauma, um, another area we keep trauma kits. Um, I think we both do this. We both have belt-mounted, and then we carry kind of two kits on us if we're wearing a chest rig or a plate carrier. Yep, because we run the little dangler. So we, yeah, we both run dangler pouches. So that's kind of our, yep. our primary med kit is probably going to be our dangler. Yep, it's a little bit more extended than my belt mounted. Yep. yep. Yeah, because this is kind of limited. I like to keep my belt mounted medical kit slim uh, for getting in and out of vehicles. Yeah, most what, definitely. primary reason. Yeah, it gets too fat back there and then you're just having problems getting in and out. Of, you hit yep. door posts and whatnot. It's annoying. Yep. Yeah, I, I really enjoy... Because I don't really use that space for anything else. Um, so having that medical kit right below my placard or my magazines is perfect. And it's easy to get to. Yeah. So. Most definitely. Um, one other thing I just thought about for tourniquets. Wherever you keep them, make sure they're accessible both hands. Yep. So that's a really you, good point. If you get shot in your dominant hand, make sure you can access it with your non-dominant hand and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I agree. No, And uh, 
And whatever you're doing, uh, having more than enough tourniquets is better than having not enough tourniquets. Yep. So if you can if you can cram another here, or cram another there without it becoming cumbersome or inconvenient, do it. Like there, you know, don't don't just buy one tourniquet and be like, yeah, that's all I'll ever need. It's like, no, you should try to carry as many tourniquets around. Like when I'm at the range, I'm still carrying my pants mounted, you know, my like my EDC tourniquet, and then I have the one on my kit, and then I have the couple that I have say on my chest rig. Like you know, re- being yeah. repetitive about that is a really good thing. Yeah. Like um, redundancy is key when it comes to medical stuff because there's a good chance you might need more than one, say, hemostatic gauze or tourniquet or yep. chest seals if you have multiple. Say you have you know shrapnel wounds or whatever. You have no idea. So if you can fit it, put it on there, you know. So, yeah. I think that about wraps us up. I agree. Uh, This was a long time coming. We kind of held off of it for obvious reasons because we're not medical people. Um, But this is kind of information we've compiled over, you know, our time in this kind of being into this kind of stuff. Um, So it's not not something we just picked up overnight. Um, But I'd recommend, you know, the time to buy this kind of stuff is now because you want to have it when you need it. Most definitely. And then get the training. So get the training, know how to use this kind of stuff, um, and just kind of, you know, outfit yourselves with uh, what you need and personalize it. So Most definitely. Well, if you guys, uh, like we heard, be sure to follow us on social media. We have an Instagram, nh underscore 2a underscore. Type it in just like that to find us in the search bar. We also have a Facebook, just plain old nh2a. We also have YouTube, so we post all the video content from our podcast on YouTube, and that is NH2A as well. We have multiple episodes on there, uh, getting caught up, and uh, eventually when we get caught up, uh, those uh, videos are going to be posted um, exclusively on uh, Patreon prior to them going on YouTube, so it'll probably be a week before um, the next podcast releases. So we'll kind of have a week standoff between podcast and then video. Um, just to kind of push our Patreon a little bit. So if you guys want to find us on Patreon, Google search NH2A Patreon, and you should be able to find us. We have tiers starting for as little as $2, and all that money goes right back into the podcast. Uh, we're trying to do remote stuff, and once we get a remote system all squared away for the podcast, we're going to start having remote guests, uh, which I'm sure you guys will enjoy. And we also have a Gmail, so if you guys want to email us questions, comments, or concerns, be sure to email us at NH2Apodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I just watched my dog have a killer dream. He almost, <laughs> he just about fell and then he woke up. It's so like bastard. the running dog dream. Like. Yeah, he was he was getting after it. Anyways, um, first of all, be proficient. Right? If you don't know what you're doing, find somebody who does. Train with them. Um, obviously, this this episode's more focused on medical. So um, you know, get out there, talk to people who you know know a little bit something about medical. Get that proper training. That's going to be really important. But um, take opinions here and there over, over time. And with different people, you'll find different opinions on how maybe they do it. Same thing with like, you know, maybe consult some EMTs or paramedics or whatever and see what they do, see what they've experienced in the real world. Um, same thing with if you have any family members who are in that kind of community. Um, not everybody's going to have the exact answer you need um, because not everybody's dealing with trauma, say like a combat surgeon or like a field medic is. But people will have opinions that you can you can kind of pick apart and be like, okay, that's applicable this way. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that makes sense. And, and so that's really important. Um, consult people and, and learn how to disseminate information for your use. You know, not everybody's kind of way is going to be the right way for you. But as you learn more about it, you can kind of take your own opinion and kind of add to it, you know. Um, but regardless, when it comes to like uh, guns and stuff, Somebody we know that'll help you help you shoot is our friend Max, Specialized Training Solutions. Hit him up at Specialized Training Solutions on Instagram, STS on Facebook. 
shootingwithmac at gmail.com on email if you want to set up something. Um, Mac spelled M-A-C, by the way. Next of all, be politically active, all right? Um, you know, get out there, write those letters, send those emails, make those phone calls, and uh, let people know how you feel. Um, and uh, make your voice heard. It's your right, and uh, exercise it. And in the midst of all that, be politic- or, sorry, be polite. Um, speaking of redundancy, right? Um, so be polite, be a good person, the kind of person that the Second Amendment, commu- Second Amendment community wants to have you as a part of. And uh, yeah, just be a good person out there. Be a good Samaritan. Be the kind of person that can help out. And if you know what you're doing, help somebody out and help them get up to speed. Um, that good karma will eventually come back around on you. So either way, guys, I suppose we'll see you for 122. Take care.